Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's September 23rd, 2016. You're listening to the best poker cast on the planet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. Uh, so I'm busy putting together the uh, next issue available at your local poker room very soon for October. And uh, something occurred to me, and I want to make sure I wasn't crazy, but it seems every year when the World Series main event goes on its little hiatus, so we can do the November 9 thingy in, in October this year for some reason, um, one of those November 9ers always seems to win a big event or have an incredible cash during that hiatus. Um, it's really crazy. So this year, I was going over all of our, our uh, regional reports. And Gordon Vile, who's from Northern California area, I believe. Um, yeah, he actually played our world championship. Yeah, and he played. Yeah, exactly. We had a picture of him in uh, the last issue. Uh, he he won the main event of the River Series at Windstar World Casino. So before I wanted to make this like a topic on the show, I wanted to do a little research, and I didn't want to go through all of them because eight or ten World Series since they started November nine or eight or nine or whatever. It's like. It's kind of crazy to have to go through all that, but yeah, it's too much effort. I did find you want out. To it in. It's not not an effort, but I mean, once I got four or five straight in a row, I knew that I was going somewhere with this. I do remember the thing about it was what made it stick in my mind was when we were just a Florida magazine. The first year, we're like, oh, we really need somebody to do well, you know, to help us out with the story or something. But we went to press before any of that stuff happened. So Chino Ream in 2008, if you remember him, David Chino Ream, uh, he cashed for 1.7 million, and immediately he took down the five diamond for a million and a half, like right after that. So I'm like, okay, that's not the hiatus. So let me keep looking. So then 2009, Kevin Schaffel, who he's from Florida, right, had zero six-figure scores. He only had a fairly brief career at that time, but still didn't have any. As soon as he makes November, November nine. He gets for 471k at the Legends in back-to-back gigantic scores, and he's only had four caches since the November nine, and none of them were six figures. So during the hiatus, he had a huge one, and then as soon as the November nine's over, now he goes back to obscurity. Uh, 2010, our friend John Dolan zero six-figure scores, hits fourth for November nine for 1.7 million, has since had five six-figure scores, though the first one didn't come till 2012. But still, it seems like it's it's something that's propelling them. Uh, Twenty eleven, Matt Giannetti, or Giannetti, uh, three million dollars for fourth place in November nine. During the hiatus, he wins the WPT Malta main event for two hundred seventy six k. Since then, he's won three more titles or more titles and three more six figure caches. And then it's the last one, twenty twelve, and there's more. I'm just gonna I don't want to talk about it all day, but Greg Merson, same thing. He had kind of a reverse effect. Never had a six figure score much less a seven-figure one. 
until event 57 of that year's World Series when he wins the 10K max, 6 max bracelet for $1.1 million. Now, he never had a big score in his life until then. Four days later, he enters the main event and then wins $8 million in the title. <laughs> so the reason I brought this up is, uh, you know, because Gordon now does this during the hiatus, and he, he had some decent caches before, so it wasn't like he never had big caches or anything, but it was just weird that the hiatus, boom, he hits another one. So why? What? What? what is the reason for this? I think there are some contributing factors, and I wonder if it, the reason I brought it up is if it could help our players to realize that sometimes if you can actually detach yourself from the money that you're playing with or you can have a fund so that it helps you detach yourself from that so it doesn't make you think about the money or maybe you can try higher limits because maybe you can succeed at higher limits. I start to think about some of these players who, you know, now they've got the money and they're, and they're they're given the chance to play in the bigger buy-ins, which also, of course, reflect a bigger payout. Because you're so that also contributes probably to this. Hey, I've never played in a 10k event, but now that I can afford it, let me play in it. Oh, hey, look, I cashed. Now I've got a six-figure cash when you know because I paid for a ten thousand dollar entry fee. So that kind of contributes to it as well. But I I do wonder, is it a psychological thing? Do are they really? that good that they're riding momentum i really don't believe in momentum i think that's a ridiculous thing i think you may feel it's momentum people may feel confident i don't really believe in momentum when i worked for the sports department of the st pete times for all those years we always took that stuff out of the stories when people wrote they rode the momentum and no it's it's baloney that's just like this woo kind of thing that you're trying to attach yourself to but I don't know. I, I just was curious what you thought about this. It's it's very uh, um, it is a pattern. It clearly is a pattern. Uh, at least five or six times, and those are just players I pulled out of the number nine and looked up their stats. I didn't check every single player, so I know it's happened even more than this. What do you think? Um, yeah, a couple things. One, um, I, I don't want to discount the money thing. I think that's a big thing. I mean, I think there's lots of our listeners, and probably including us, that if we had unlimited funds, we would have and unlimited time and unlimited funds. So um, both of those things together, I think, we would have more big scores. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I've never entered anything above a $1,000 buy-in, and I've done that once, and... So I'm not going to have a big score, you know. Right, right. Um, but once you know you've locked up a million bucks, now you can feel empowered to um, enter some tournaments that you haven't before. And when you enter them, then you have a better chance of winning or cashing in it than when you didn't enter it, right? Right, right. <laughs> so I, I don't want to discount that. Um, but I will argue with you on momentum. Um, I, I, I do think it's it's a psychological thing that when things are going well for you, it helps things continue to go well for you. And when things are not going well for you, it contributes to them not continuing to not go well for you. Um, now I don't know that. Cha- I don't not saying that changes your poker skill or how you're playing, but it is a a mindset. And obviously, we we run a column every month from you know a psychologist talking about uh, how your mind um, affects poker. And I think that's it. I think if, you know you know I know that from my own time. I don't play a lot of multiple events in a series outside of you know when I when I go to Thunder Valley. But when I cash right away or win a tournament right away there, I feel more confident and I end up doing better the rest of the series, whereas if I, you know, 
don't cash for the first three tournaments. Now I just feel like it's not going to happen, or maybe I'm pushing a little too hard to make it happen, and it and it makes it worse. So I don't know if that's called momentum or if that's different than what you're talking about, but I definitely think there is a mindset that once I have accomplished something, uh, not me, but I mean a player in general, that it's you're in the right frame of mind to accomplish more things. Um, and the last thing I'll say too is I think it's also kind of a, a goal kind of thing, you know. I it. You know, again, I don't play this Pokemon thing, right? But uh, I don't think you do either. No, <laughs> but, no. Um, but uh, I can kind of see this with the people that do that, you know, hey, I'll go out and check out this Pokemon thing. All right, I caught one. Um, and you see somebody else running around and catch another one, then you catch a second one. Now, all of a sudden, you're obsessed, right? Now, now you want to see how many Pokemon you can get and keep moving up to whatever the Pokemon leaderboard or whatever it is. Um, so you're trying harder and you're focused more on actually achieving a goal rather than just playing. And I know that's tough to say for people that, that put down a lot of money for poker because we all like to pretend that we, we play every time to win money. But the reality is I think most of us play every time to be playing poker. Um, but once we are laser focused on winning or doing well, I think we actually win or do well more. Yeah, I think what we're talking about are slightly different when I say momentum and you talk about confidence or I I think there is sort of a a moment of clarity that people have once they've achieved something and then they maybe emit this sort of confidence. You know, if you're at the table, you're feeling more confident in your moves because you won, so you're making the right moves or people read your body language as confident and they tend to not challenge you or they were there when you won the tournament yesterday now they're there with you again today so they think you're a good player he's a november niner they say oh this guy made november nine after beating six thousand people i got to tread lightly around him so there is this sort of confidence or this you know not aura because that's silly too but like there's just this presence of this person at the table that contributes to that his confidence that he's admitting because wow I'm a November Niner now I've got all this money I can take these shots I can take these chances I can be much more confident in my ability because clearly I've shown myself to have the ability to do this so I'm going to mow down this Windstar field of River Series players and you know or whatever so I don't really think of momentum as as confidence I think of people think oh the the shift the tide is shifting and now Alabama's going to beat Ole Miss because they're beating it. No, it's because they figured it out how to beat them now, and they're going to. You know, it, so yeah, I agree with you. I think that there is this sort of confident thing that because let's face it, momentum doesn't change that it takes nine hearts to make that flush, and you need to hit one of them on the next two cards. That never changes. The play that you're making changes, but it's not momentum. There isn't some momentum you know, God up there saying, okay, this guy's playing well, so we're going to keep those hearts coming to give him a flush on this turn because he's playing well in November 9. No, it's because you're making the moves and presenting yourself in a certain way and you're playing confidently. or And then and a lot of the attributes, too, is that these guys are getting better. They're better players, and now they're having the opportunities to show themselves against the better players because before they couldn't afford it, now they can. So I think there's a lot of contributing factors. It's just really remarkable to me how many of these guys pick off a major tournament after they make November 9, and either during the hiatus or immediately after the November 9 itself, it's it's pretty remarkable. And I, I just wonder, too, if if we all took those shots, if we would say, well, you know what, 
it's really not that much different playing at 2-5 as it is at 1-1. There are some good players in there, but you can still navigate your way through there to a winning session if you still play the way you're playing with your talents, and maybe you could do better and make more money. And I'm not advocating everyone go out there and then lose your bankroll and blame you for it. I'm just saying <laughs> if you have the role and you have the confidence and you're crushing the 1-1, Maybe you want to go to the one three or the the two five and see how you do there. You know, there's nothing wrong with taking chances and then going back down if you you know feel like you're over your head. But these guys clearly didn't feel like they were over their heads once they got that secured million dollar payday, and a lot of them turned it into another million dollar payday or another six figure score. And I just think that's remarkable. Absolutely. Well, that was it. That's all I wanted to talk about today. I mean, I just thought that was really interesting, and it's well, going to continue I, I think to happen. There's also something to be said for what you said about the aura of being a November Niner, or an aura of anything. Where, where you know, we sit at the table. You don't know any of the people around you, but if someone tells you, "Hey, C three is a November Niner," you automatically give them respect, you know, whether they deserve it or not. Yeah. Um, for it, and so you either a lot of players are going to tread more carefully around them, which allows those players to reap the benefits of that, um, and other players are going to get too aggressive and going after them because they want to be able to tell their friends, "Hey, I bluffed this uh, November nine out of a pot," um, and that tends not to work well right. um, for a lot of times. So I, I think you know when you when you've established yourself, whether you've done it yourself or somebody else has established you as a good poker player at the table, you reap the benefits of that. I agree. Okay, got any updates here. We got uh, we have eight wonderful Annie Up Poker Cruises on the schedule now, including a 14-night transatlantic to Barcelona, a weekend warrior cruise, a summer cruise, and many more. Uh, get all the details, including how you can win your way on board at AnnieUpCruises.com. All passengers will get a commemorative coin souvenir uniquely designed for each sailing by thepokerdepot.com and a quick reference poker odds card from thegamblingschool.com. And you're going to like this next coin, Chris, I think. I sent out the artwork yesterday, but uh, I don't want to give anything away, but there's okay. a turtle motif. Yes! Uh, also, you know, listeners have flooded us with Hands of the Week, and we totally appreciate that. But we also are looking for listener spotlights and call-to-floor submissions. Email us at podcast at anteupmagazine.com or post in the Anteup group discussions at pokerradius.com. Uh, and finally, join anteuppokerroom.com and compete for weekly cash in the monthly winners tournaments for $500 in cash and prizes. Anteuppokerroom.com costs $14.95 a month and is open to players in 25 states where sweepstakes laws allow play. Okay, like we said, each week we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at And if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. It comes from our buddy, Dr. Frank. He says, uh, Scotty, you play in a lot of tournaments, so I figured you'd have an answer for this. Yet, Chris, you edit and publish tournament results every month, so you'd have insight as well. How do I communicate to others what place I finished in a tournament? Here's the setup. Recently, the final four players in a tournament agreed to chop. I was the short stack. The guy who was the overwhelming chip leader got first place money minus 100 bucks. The remaining three players agreed to split up the remaining prize pool equally, including the $100. We each ended up with somewhere between second and third place money. So, did I finish second, with three of us tied for the second highest payout? Third, since we each got a bit better than third place money? Or fourth, since I was the fourth highest chip stack when we agreed to the chop? 
if we had all gone if we had all gone all in and the chip leader had eliminated all three of us at once, I would have gotten fourth place money by virtue of being the shortest stack at the beginning of the hand, but that's not what happened. Michael Phelps and two other swimmers each got silver for second place when they finished in a dead heat behind another swimmer. And that's not uh, but that's not what happened to me either. It would feel weird saying I finished second when I was on the verge of going out fourth. I know tournament poker players would understand that three of us chopped for second, but I want to know the simplest way to communicate to a non-poker player, my wife for instance, how I did without having to explain how chopping works. Um, all right, the first thing I'm going to say is um, there are complex things that can't be made more simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my biggest beefs with uh, being Facebook friends with people who think they're political experts. <laughs> right? Sometimes very complex <laughs> political issues cannot, there is no such thing as a simple solution to them. You have to be complex about it. So the first thing I'm going to say is uh, I admire him for trying to find an easy, clear way to communicate this to non-poker players. Um, but I don't think it's all that complicated to the point that we need to come up with a shorthand solution uh, to it. So I think it, it's easy just to say, hey, um, four of us decided to split the money up. One took more. The th- other three of us took the same amount. So, you know, I finished on top four and be done with it. And if somebody asks you more, then, then you have the opportunity to explain chopping and how that works. And that's yeah, not a bad thing, right? Right, because they're asking for it at that right. point. Exactly. Um, but, all right, well, let's say you don't want to do that. Let's say you are looking for the simple solution here. Um, what I told him is that um, officially for the Andy Up Poker Tour Player of the Year race, um, the results are as they are reported to us from the poker room. And every poker room does it differently. Some will put... In that case, we'll put one next to the overwhelming chip leader and then two, two, two next to everybody else. Some will do two, three, four based on your chip stack at the time of the chop. Um, others will just write down the first guy that gives them a name as second place, the second that gives them a name is third place, and third for fourth place. So um, it's not my job to figure that out in those situations. I take whatever the um, property sends me. So. To that extent, I always uh, suggest people that plan our events that uh, care about the player year of the points is if there is a chop, to be sure that, that you discuss that with the other players. Yeah. And the yeah. poker manager, make sure it's re- uh, reported in the way that you want it to be reported to us. Um, but every poker room, outside of Andy Up, every poker room and tournament does differently in how they report those kind of things. Um, so, there, I guess the the long way to a short answer is there's no uniform way of explaining this. So it's a, I think, I would say I can make a case for all the three different scenarios that he put there. Um, just depends on how you want to report it. So if you're trying to brag to somebody that's not a poker player, make it sound like you finished second. <laughs> yeah. If you're talking to the IRS, make it sound like you got fourth. <laughs> Um. Yeah, and I told him the quick answer for me was they all, all three players, aside from the guy who got the top money, uh, surrendered their right to being second, third, or fourth. They all finished tied for second, and that's the way it goes. As far as if I'm telling that story to somebody, or if we're putting it in a story in the magazine, we're not going to say, unless they specifically ask us to say, this guy had fewer chips, we officially made him fourth. If they all finished tied for second because... 
you all gave up at that point and you agreed that this guy won, then you guys all split. You all got the equal amount of money. There is, it's, you know, it's kind of like when in bowling, uh, when you throw the ball and you hit the right side of the pocket that you're supposed to hit, and they call it the pocket is the one three pin in right handers and one two pin for left handers. If you hit the right side as a right hander and you throw a strike, it's a strike. If you throw it on the left side and you, which is a really bad, bad shot, you threw a really terrible shot, but you still get a strike. They call it a Brooklyn strike. Brooklyn, yes, but well, it's still it's still a strike on the board. When you look up, it's an X. Right. It doesn't matter. Yeah, so there's no asterisk next to it. Right? right, there's no asterisk. So technically, you know, you threw a strike, and that's all there is to it. Um, but from a quality of you know, how did you bowl? Well, you bowled pretty terribly. Same with this. So you, okay, so you really finished. You were really the fourth at that point, the fourth stack, and you were fourth place. But they said, "Hey, we don't want to take a chance. We think you're still the the variation can still be with you, or you're you could be a better poker player than I am. I'm giving up that right to to say I'm better than you." Because I don't want to take a chance of playing against you and losing money, so I'm going to agree to say, hey, we're all second. So I think you finished second. Uh, I think you finished tied for second with two other guys because they surrendered their chips. They surrendered their opportunity to, to prove that point differently. That's how I said it to him in an email real quick. Yeah. Um, I mean, really, the, the Michael Phelps thing, I think, is a good example, and I think he got it wrong. I think you all did finish in a dead heat. Yeah. You know? They absolutely did tie. Obviously, in swimming, you can't chop. That would be awesome. If, you know, <laughs> one third of a brook silver. Some guy wins, and the other one weighs her hand up. Hey, hold on. Before we finish swimming, you just want to chop it up? All right, let's just take the silver medal and cut it into pie, like a pie we're triangle. A silver medal. We all get a pie triangle around our. That's hilarious. But no, I mean, that's an interesting point. And it's funny. Like, it's like I, I chopped uh, a Razavan at Daytona once. It was like not eight of us or something that chopped to win it. It was all we all got first place money split up, you know, all the money split equally. And I'm like, yeah, I took down the the Razavan, sure. Well, I didn't lose. <laughs> well, but I mean, I guess this gets back to trying to make this more complicated than it needs to be. Um, obviously, Frank's situation is a little different because he had one player that get more money than others. But in your scenario, I mean, what, what's wrong with saying, hey, eight of us uh, decided to split the money? Yeah. You don't have to use a chop. Chop's probably kind of a, an insider word that people don't really understand, right? Yeah. Split the money. Yeah. Final eight of us, split the money, quit the tournament early. And then, you know, like I said, uh, now that invites a conversation, and that's always good. So. Yeah, of course. I mean, when they say in football, you know, everybody, only one team will win the last game of the year. And in poker, it's like, you know, if you get knocked out of a tournament, if you lost the tournament, you lost the last hand you played. Well, I didn't lose the last hand I played. Yeah, that's true. So I was still alive. I'm still around, and I'm still, you know, I still had chips when they said the tournament was over. So I guess I won. You know, <laughs> so that's how it's like. But you're right; it's a great way to uh, to make a conversation about poker go further and more. It makes it interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, really, let's be honest. If you're talking to a non-poker person, they really don't care about poker, right? No, <laughs> you know, exactly. They, they might be intrigued by it. And if they are intrigued by it, then they probably do want to learn as much as you're willing to tell them or they're willing to. Um, but if you're if you're the one starting the conversation, hey, honey, guess what? I finished X today. All right, that's great. Thanks. Can you go out and mow the lawn? You know. <laughs> I mean, why, why why do they really care where you actually finished or anything like that? So. And it might be interesting to them, too, as well, if they're a non-poker player, to find out that it isn't all just winner-take-all. All of a sudden, they find out, whoa, I can, like... 
Yeah. I can like get really squeak into the money and have chopping get equal money, you know, so they start learning about it and they might even try it, so anything you do to promote the game. Well, and there's a lot of strategy involved in deciding on a chop. Yeah. Right. So yep. for folks that, you know, even if I wasn't a poker player, you know, I love Survivor and Big Brother and all these competition shows and stuff, so I love talking strategy with people. So the fact that I now that would be my first question, the first time I learned about chopping is, you know, hey, so what makes you decide to quit early do you uh, were you not as good as other players and then, and then you can explain you know my chips here or the players and, and and i think people that are into strategy would actually like to hear a conversation about poker chops i agree hey find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been email us at podcast at com. we'll have hollywood casino toledo director of poker elliot Schechter tell you how he would have ruled this week's prize is a setup of J-Design playing cards, the official playing cards of Annie Up Poker Cruises, available at ClassicPlayingCards.com. And this one is going to take a while. <laughs> Make a sandwich. So we're going to do a little fun thing here. We're going to do a little give and take as if I'm asking these questions later on because it, it's a thorough answer, and I think it need, needs to be. So if you're driving, pull over. If you're jogging, take a seat. And if you're home, get a sandwich. comes from George Mandos. He says, we're in a one-two no-limit hold'em cash game last night at a casino, and I got my flush on the turn, and we got it all in after the river. My opponent was to my immediate right. He tabled his cards after I called his all-in. He flopped two pair, and I tabled my cards to show him my nut flush and was pushed to pot by the dealer. After the flop on the next hand, the villain starts to say that he should have won the last hand. The two other players on our side of the table defended me, while I kept quiet and focused on the current hand. He kept up that he was screwed out of the last pot, and while the current hand was finishing, the villain went to the floor manager to tell him the situation. He wanted to review the tape. By the time the floor manager came over to the table, the next hand was complete. The dealer explained the hand to the floor, and I confirmed the hand and that the dealer's explanation was correct. The two other players at my end of the table confirmed the hand to the floor manager. Floor manager told the player that he could not review the tape since it was not the last hand completed, and he can only go to the tape if it was the last hand. So the question I have is, why should it matter if it was not the last hand played? Sometimes the floor is busy with other situations and can't come over to the table right away. Is that fair to the player that is questioning the hand? Is it fair to the players to hold up the game until the floor can make it over to the table? I play a fair amount at this casino and know that the dealer is very competent. The other two players at my end of the table were regulars. So could the floor be influenced by the players at the table and the dealer, or is it a rule that a casino can only review the last hand played? Would it matter if we were playing in a higher stakes game? Okay, now before we do our little dog and pony show here, I want to say, just because, you know, I watched the season premiere of Survivor last night, which is Gen X versus Millennials. Right. That you can just tell what generation somebody is by the words they use. (laughs) And George is clearly a Gen Xer or older, right? Because he uses the word tape a hundred (laughs) times, even though there's no tape being used at all. It's all being digitally recorded Um, upstairs. Yeah, like DVRs and stuff. (laughs) I'm just making fun of him because people make fun of me because I still say tape all the time. Yeah, so, I, I, I want him to be uh, made fun of as much as I am. I say it and then I correct myself. So you can tell I'm a borderline <laughs> Gen Xer. <laughs> All right, here we go. Elliot says, uh, this situation you presented is regrettably not uncommon. I appreciate that you also want to learn the reasoning behind a rule 
and the logic of a ruling and not just a correct remedy to a dispute. So I'll try to answer questions in the order that you ask them, and I'm going to uh, say that uh, I appreciate that George also wants to understand the logic of a ruling. I think yeah. it's really important. Yeah. You know, when I'm at uh, casinos, people ask me about this. I try to explain why rather than just tell them what it is. And that's always a great way of learning, right? Yep, so. absolutely. So, George, right, so now you're going to read the question, yeah. and I'm going to read Elliot's answer. Yeah, so George says, why should it matter if it was not the last hand played? Elliot says, you stated that the flop for the next hand was on the table and being bet upon when the villain started to claim ownership of the previous pot. Most, if not all, poker rooms have a rule that states that the right to dispute the outcome of a hand ends at the beginning of the very next deal. This is merely an extension of what is generally the first rule in public poker. Players must protect their hands at all times. If the pot was not awarded correctly, why didn't he speak up until well into the next hand? He didn't protect anything in that case. You must speak up and ask for the floor person immediately. The dealer stop the game and wait for a ruling. I've known more than one player who, who has jumped up onto his chair in order to stop the game and get the floor person's attention. If there are no hands and no board to read. Making a decision becomes a real challenge. Uh, before I read the next question, I, I remember a situation when I was first starting in poker and I was playing at the Silks way back, Scott, when he used to put t- 11 people at a table and he yeah, was yeah. chomped up in that little, little spike. So... I remember I got it all in with like eight nine or something on the last hand because I was short stacked, and somebody had beaten me with a I don't know like a pair of aces or I don't know what it was. So as I'm driving home, I'm like on Tampa Road or something, and I think to myself, "Wait a minute, I made it straight." <laughs> and I try calling the poker room or something to say, "Hey, I made it straight. Can I come back?" <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. so I mean seriously, I can see why some people just don't understand the rules and would think. You know, and you're thinking the hand back in your mind. You think guys thinking maybe I boated on the end or something, and but and so that's why he didn't protect his hand right away. But yeah, if you didn't protect your hand, you have no recourse now. So yeah. All right. Anyway, George says sometimes the floor is busy with other situations that can't come over to the table right away. Is that fair to the player that is questioning the hand? Is it fair to the players to hold up the game until the floor can make it over to the table? Ellie says yes. It is fair. What's right is right. The game must hold up so that a floor person can gather information and take any necessary steps to settle the dispute. In any poker game, but no limit games especially, it is too easy for the disputed money to change places one or more times if the game is continued. For example, if a game continues on while waiting for the arrival of a floor person, what happens if a player is later found to have been erroneously awarded a pot wins a very large all-in bet against another player? Theoretically, the bet would not have been as large as the players in play uh, were all in the correct stacks prior to the hand. Now, two players were injured by one incorrect pot awarded in the game that continued instead of being stopped. This is prevented by correct enforcement of the hand protection rule and the rule governing the end of the time to dispute a hand. Uh, there's more to that, too. You oh, said. wow, two. I'm sorry. Yeah, another part of that. Um, if a player calls in time before the next hand for a disputed pot to be addressed, the usual way to handle this is to put the entire pot out of play while surveillance footage is viewed and correct ownership of the pot is ascertained. I will usually have the two players in dispute wait until the pot is settled until they can get dealt in again. No missed blinds will be charged either player, but only for the time of the dispute resolution. Yeah, that's that's more, and that's that's the right way to go. And I love the earlier thing too about. Could you imagine if now I went all in, and then now my money is equally distributed among the other players, and we can do go back to them and say, "Hey, give us back the money you won from that player." It's not going to work out. There's well, no and, way. And, yeah, and the worst, and then the opposite of what he said is, "What if you had fewer bets?" You know, what if you were actually entitled to that money, didn't have it, and then you shoved all the short stacked, 
and lost. And now all of a sudden, here's new money. Oh, here's some more money. You're back in the right? tournament. Let's seat you back down and again. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I should have won all that money. Yeah. And so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, so George says, so could the floor be influenced by the players at the table and the dealer, or is that a rule that a casino can only review the last hand played? Most of us that make decisions at poker tables will definitely give more credence to statements made by regular players and by dealers we consider competent. By their actions and behavior, they have earned at least some benefit of the doubt. In any event, that will never stop me from reviewing surveillance footage to settle these kinds of disputes. And yes, as stated previously, it is a rule that casinos will only review the last hand that was played. The only exception would be if players tried to stop the dealer and call the floor person. The dealer continued to deal and did not call for a decision. And no player made any effort to stop the game and get a floor person. The rule regarding reviewed hands would be strictly enforced. Uh, and then finally, would it matter if we were playing in a higher stakes game? Well, he says it would not matter one bit. Bigger limit players want the correct decisions to be made and the correct players to be awarded the pots they won. Also, players in higher stakes games are generally more knowledgeable of the rules and are more used to the process, even while being uh, very loud about their time being wasted. <laughs> All right. Man, that was thorough. I enjoyed that. I first read it, I thought, oh, man, it's going to take forever. But I think the way we did it, and it's, I like that. That's a real learning thing there. It's not just... Oh, okay, I, I was okay, and I got my money, and I'm happy, or he made the right call. But this was a very informative thing. I really appreciated that answer. Yeah, and I think I think the big take out here is going back to your example of driving home and realizing that maybe you had the, the right hand to call it. <laughs> um, you know, in addition to it just being fair that, hey, you have to, once the next hand starts, you're done with that hand. So you have to pay attention and make sure that the hand is being awarded properly. So, you know, if you have any questions about that, you know, you should speak up right away. I'm like, hey, shouldn't I get the pod? And then somebody will say, no, you only got two pair. He's got enough left. And then you can say, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't see it. Yep. Right? But, you know, if, if you were allowed to go back and review every hand, can you imagine how high the rake was going to be now with the poker room? This is, yeah, just a dispute resolution desk there where people were like, you know, hey, uh, back in March, I kind of remember now that I thought I had the flush. Can you go back and check that hand for me? Oh, sure. Your ticket number seven, eight, seven. Let me go check. You know, so let's be realistic about it. I mean, I understand that people were like, you know, one of the things that, that Ellie said here is right is right. So I can see some people saying, well, you know, even though it was three hands ago, shouldn't right be right? Yeah, but there there is a, a limit to what we can possibly do. So you always have to be paying attention to your hand. Hold on to your cards at all time. If you don't understand why the pot's being pushed to someone else, stop and ask right away, and then, then you can take care of these problems. Yep. Anytime uh, humans are involved with any kind of competition like this, just whether it's sports, you know, and just because there's you know, replay. They still have to throw the red flag to have the replay be done, unless it's That's automatic. That's a very good point. Can you think about a football player, a team at the end? Hey, I lost a game. Wait a minute. Let me think back. Uh, maybe yeah. I should have reviewed that play yeah. back in the third quarter. Let, let, let me throw the flag now, and then, and then what are you going to replay the entire rest of the yeah. game now? <laughs> yeah, I remember when Colorado got five downs back in the 90s? <laughs> let's go back to that college game and let them not win that game and not be number one in the polls. <laughs> now let's see what happens. Hey, guess what? we got a brand new O'Malley's move. Here it comes. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we are at a $2, $5 Nolan and Hold'em home game with a pretty standard button straddle. Not forced, but standard. The skill levels here range from intermediate to fairly solid. It's early in the night, and we're at right about our starting stack of 500 the table is six-handed. The button straddles, the small blind calls, 
Big Blind, Under the Gun, and MP Fold. And we're in the cutoff with the Queen of Hearts, Queen of Clubs. With a straddle, we want to send a message that we have a good hand, and we wouldn't mind taking this down now. We make it $70 to go. The Button and Small Blind both call. The pot is north of 200, and the flop is the King of Spades, Ten of Clubs, Six of Spades. The Small Blind checks. Now, just because an overcard falls doesn't mean we've been sucked out on. We're going to make a little C-bet here. We put 135 into the pot. The button folds, but the small blind calls relatively quickly. Hmm. Spades? Queen-Jack? The small blind is one of the newer players to poker, but she's picking up the game quickly. Although she can make mistakes from time to time. She's in that awkward phase of being in between a novice and intermediate. She started with an almost identical stack to ours. The pot is about 475, and the turn is the four of diamonds. The small blind once again checks. So, are we betting again? What's the move? It's time for Hand of the Week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antietmagazine.com. This comes from longtime listener Jason Grimes. And uh, he says, um, I'm sitting with 3,000. Um, is a tournament hand, I hope? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. This is a second of two hands, so I skipped it. Okay. Let me see if I can go back and find the... Uh, here we go. All right. Uh, we're playing a 5-5 five, five, No Limit Hold'em cash game with a $10 rock. Oh, okay. So it's a, it, is, it is a cash game. All right. All right. All right. So let me now let me, so I don't get confused. We'll hear the first one next week because it's a situation. situation. Yeah, we want a longer hand this time. So. All right. So it's a 5-5 five, five, No Limit rock game. Um, that means uh, there's a force straddle there, right? Yeah. Have ten bucks, um, and her is sitting with three thousand, um, and he is in early position with the ace ten of diamonds. These people keep trying to play my hand. <laughs> um. Well, you know, the rock is a forced bet. The 5-5 five five is a force bet. So already you've got a third of the table that's got essentially dead money out there. You know, I, 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 I'm not a real big fan of my of this hand that's named after me. <laughs> um, but if I'm going to play, I'm playing in a cash game. Nobody knows what the hand is that I'm playing. They don't need to know that. I know that a third of the table has put money out there. I didn't have to put money out there. There's a good 25 out there already. You know, I mean, I don't really, I remember watching a 5-5 five five rock, 10 rock game once on the ship. When we were one of our poker cruises, and these guys were starting out with like making it seventy-five to go and stuff, yeah, you know, there was a, there was a lot of money around. So, and I think I remember even uh, you know we were talking earlier about um, the O'Malley's move that we just heard that part one. There they talk about it. There was like a it was a two-five game, but there was a, a straddle on the button, and he made it seventy. So. I have no problem with making it like 75 with this hand. It's not a great hand, but then again, if we're in early position and we're the first one to enter the pot, they don't know we have ace-10. Plus, it's not a bad hand if there's some folds to you in early position, like one or two. So, I guess I'd, if I'm going to play it, I'm going to play it for a raise and, and represent. And, you know, hopefully these other guys are only calling because they got the right pot odds and they don't actually have a big hand, and we'll do something. But... Um, it helped to know more about these players and stuff because generally, if I'm playing a hand like this in a game like this, I'm playing the people, not just the cards. So, 
Yeah, so to, the, to that extent, I'm going to say that, um, one, I, I don't like this hand usually. Um, I definitely don't play it after someone's raised. If I'm first in, then I'm definitely going to raise with it because um, it's a vulnerable hand, I think. It's also a hand that has a lot of potential as well, too. Um, but um, I've never played a 5-5 rock game, but I have, like, you've watched them, and they are usually fairly aggressive games. There's not a lot of passive play in these things, right? Mm-hmm. So I think if you're in that game, it's a different type of game than your normal one, two, no limit that most of our players play where, you know, um, you can be passive and play ABC and and, um, do all right. I think this is the kind of game that you're going to have to be an active participant. So this is a hand that I feel like I'm going to have to loosen up a little bit and play in this game or I'm going to get beat up in this game. So... Uh, I'm definitely going to raise with it here, and um, yeah, I don't know what the standard raise is, but I'm going to guess it's probably at least 50 or something, so I will do 50, I think. Okay. Um, all right, our hero says, I've decided to represent a slightly better hand and open for 50. Yay! Yay! I get a couple callers, so I'll be in middle position the rest of the hand. The flop is the queen of diamonds, jack of hearts, four of diamonds, an early position player leads out for 125 into the pot that's about 160 or 170. And it's on us now. So, okay, so there's a bet of 125 out there, and there's a pot of about 150 or so. Yeah, 160, 170. 160, okay, 160, 170, all right. Um, it's very interesting. We have position, um, and so... Well, Some, on this guy, we don't. On this, on the right? We have a position on this guy, so I, I do feel like if we just call the other guy, it depends on what the other guy is going to do. If, if we have some sort of feeling what this other guy is going to do, a call is is pretty decent because it, one, it could look like you're floating when you actually have a huge draw. Um, and if you get the guy behind you, if the guy behind you folds, because that's a pretty decent bet there. That's almost pot right there. Yeah. yeah. Um. So if you make the call and the guy behind you now, the person who bet out might think you're floating. And then if you make your hand on the turn, he bets into you again. You know what I mean? You can call again comfortably, make him think you're floating. And then, you know, and then he bets big on the end. Then you're right. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of ways you can go with this, I think, now, provided that guy behind you folds. Um, I, I really like a call here. It It's sort of just... There's so many things you could be calling with. You could be calling with intent. You could be calling with a hand. You could be calling with a draw. You could be doing a lot of stuff. You could be setting up the guy in the end to try to take it away, and then you come over the top because you got a huge draw here. You got an overcard, you got a Broadway draw, and you got the nut flush draw. I feel like, you know, any move except folding <laughs> is a good move here. I really do. I. I I can understand raising, but I really don't have a hand yet either. If I'm happy with the size of the pot by raising and taking it down now, that's fine. But I don't know what this player plays like. Would he bet like this if he didn't have a really good hand? Like, if he had top two, he's not going anywhere, so a raise is not going to help me. You know, if he's a type of player that does that with top two or with, you know, even if he has ace-queen, you know. I mean, we were the first ones to raise, so he's betting into us. It's kind of a donk bet. Um... So maybe just calling, and then the guy behind you says, all right, look, this guy raised, and he only called this bet. Maybe I'm getting out of the way. But if we call, and then the other guy does something crazy, then i got to adjust. But I'm, I'm thinking of just calling here, believe it or not. In a smaller game, I might raise because I've got you know, 50 bucks in front of me or something. 
But in this game, with three grand in front of me, and it's a big loose game, probably nobody sits down on a rock game that's not a loose player, probably. So I'm thinking I might just call and see what happens. Yeah, I, well, my uh, it's not a strategy just for this hand. It probably should be my strategy for every hand. But I'm looking at how can I make the most money off of this hand, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the fact that I've got so many draws here, right? Uh, you know, any king, any any uh, any, any, any diamond, king. any king, any diamond, uh, any, any, any ace, any diamond maybe. right now gives me the nuts, right? Yep. And I've got the player behind me, so yeah, I'm a little concerned that the the, the initial bet was so high that this we might lose this third guy. Um, but I think based on my draws here, I think I'm going to make more money off of this hand by having that third guy come along, hopefully with a weaker straight draw or a weaker flush draw, than I would raising here, definitely shutting that guy out, and then getting heads up with this other guy who clearly, well, I shouldn't say clearly, but must have something here, right? Yeah. Um, and he very well may re-raise now. Now I'm going to get into a raising war with a non-made hand right now, heads up. Um, where I think I have so much more potential to, to profit off this hand. If I call here, hope the third guy comes along. And if the third guy drops out, that's fine, too. I mean, now I'm still heads up with a guy without having to put more money in the pot right now until I actually make my hand, right? Yep. So um, while I think there, there might be a defense for a raise out there, I really don't think it's the right play right here. I think it's better to call and see what happens. Yeah, I, I like I said, I I can make a defense for everything. I think except for folding, I can't yeah, possibly. Yeah, folding fold, would be but, a tough defense. Yeah, but I can definitely make a defense for everything, and I think the best play is a call here. And if he doesn't come along, that's fine too because we have all these draws, we have this position, we have we took control of the hand preflop, so we're saying we have something already. They don't know what it is, especially as you raise preflop. No one's putting you on ace ten now. Now they're going to put you on something like ace king or ace queen. So if you just call, they might think, all right, you only have queens on ace kicker. I have top two. You know, I might get in with you. But now when the diamond comes, he's put you on a specifically different hand. They're never going to put you on this one. Or if, if he does check to you and shown weakness, now you can take it down as a floater anyway. I mean, there's so many ways to play it. So, But I do like the call, too. So let's call. All right. That's what our hero does. And the other player gets out of the way. So we are heads up with 410 in the pot. And the turn is the Jack of Clubs. So the board now is Queen of Diamonds, Jack of Hearts, Four of Diamonds, Jack of Clubs, and again the early position player bets this time for two twenty-five. Hmm. Well, before we were drawn to the nuts, now now we're drawn to like the fourth best hand or something. So, um, that's a lot of money. Um, I mean, if I'm confident this guy didn't have Queen Jack or pocket fours or something, you know, then I would come along, but it's tough. That's a pretty big bet again, you know. Uh, what did you say the pot was before that bet? It was 250? 410. 410, yeah, so he bet half the pot, which is a, a good, solid bet. Um, So there's 600, th- 3 to 1 on my money. I'm not even drawn to the nuts here now. We could be drawing dead. We could be drawing so dead. That, um I wouldn't think we are. I don't think... Well, maybe we would. I mean, if he did... The only reason he would check his boat here is he thinks... If he's hoping that we now will bluff back at him. Yeah. Yeah, he could just have three jacks. So that means any of the hands that we're drawn to... from his point of view, if he does have a boat, it's better to continue putting pressure on like he is now. Yeah, although... 
Although, if he believes we're floating him, it'd be a perfect time to check. So he doesn't he doesn't believe we're weak. That's the thing. He thinks we're strong to bet into us because he wouldn't be afraid of a draw now. So no reason not to bet for that. If he thinks we're strong because the fact that he bet into you know what I mean if he thought we were weak he might check and let us try to float steal it from him and then just call and then you know what I mean so there's some reasons to check here that we haven't explored and I think the bet there maybe you're right maybe maybe he doesn't have a boat so maybe I call now because if I if he had a boat like you said it's a perfect reason to check to me, is that it looked like we could have been floating. Hey, we took control of this hand preflop, and now you're betting into us? All right, I'm going to float you, and then when you don't make that bet again, then I'll steal it from you. Well, now you've boated up. Give him a chance to try to bluff at it. You know what I mean? So check at him. And if he doesn't, then you make your bet. It looks like you're stealing, re-stealing it. You know, I, I think I think that would have been. So I think you're right. Maybe I don't think he has a boat here. I'm going to call. Man, you changed my mind. Wow, I wasn't really trying to change your mind. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that changed my mind. Um, hmm. I don't know. I got to think whether I uh, change my mind because uh, I'm worried now that we don't really have a lot of outs that can win here. So you're thinking uh, that he does have a boat already? Well, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just okay. saying that uh, I honestly think that if he does, he would still bet here. So the fact that he bet here, I don't think disqualifies him having the boat. Now, obviously, that's one hand that has his beat. Um, well, a couple combinations of that one hand, but. He didn't raise us pre-flop, right? Mm-hmm. So I think we could take pocket queens, pocket jacks out. Um, and of course, we get quads. That would be really difficult to bet here. Um, pocket fours are certainly a possibility, right? Yeah. And now he just boated up. And he's got an underboat, so that's all the more reason to continue betting, correct? Yeah, if, if we believe that he has an overpair to the queen or the jack. Well, no, I'm thinking even pocket fours because he's got an under. No, if he's thinking we have that, right, it'd right. be more of a reason to bet the underboat because then we could hit our ace or king on the river and make a bigger boat. So, yeah. Um, but that's really the only hand. You know, he could have a jack of some sort, an ace jack, and now he's got three jacks, so he feels fairly confident and betting. Although I think he might bet even a little bit more if he thought we were on a draw. Would he have bet 125 with a naked jack? on that flop that's a good question I don't think he would yeah well I mean I guess to find out where he was there I mean it was a pretty big bet into that pot so yeah maybe you know if we had a queen we're obviously you're going to raise him right and we didn't raise him so now he feels a little better about his jack if that's the case now that he's got three jacks now he can bet here's the other thing I don't think he thinks we have aces and kings either now because wouldn't aces and kings have raised that flop? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think we've we've kind of we've given him some information on our hand by just calling, which I was fine doing because I'm on a draw. Uh, unfortunately, this is what happens when you're on a draw: is a card like this comes and it kills your draws, right? Yeah. Um, so I think he's he's fairly confident that his hand is good. So now we got to figure out what about this hand makes him feel confident about it. And I think it has to involve either a jack, pocket fours. It could be a suited ace jack. Maybe a queen, yeah. Because he called the raise preflop, bet to see where he was, and then hit the third jack. So he doesn't have a boat, because if he had a boat, he might check. And he's confident that we have a draw, because if we had overcards, we would have bet to protect him. 
and we didn't raise him on the flop, so that's why he's confident betting his three jacks. It feels like it's jack-10 or ace-jack. Something like that. If it's queen jack, I don't see why he bets there. I think he. I, I think the checks. problem with calling here is that now we obviously have to hit big on the river, right? It's going to be one of the draws that we're looking at, right. and then we have to hope that he gets disgusted by the fact that the draw gets there and either checks or puts a smallish bet in, and then we can call that just to see it. What, hmm. what I don't want to do is call two twenty-five here and then have to face a four hundred-dollar bet on the river. Well, let me ask you something. If we let's take the money, the actual money out of it, and reduce it by, you know, the ten percent of it instead. Instead of having three K in front of us, we had three hundred, and we're in a regular game on the cruise ship. He bets twelve dollars on that flop. Do you call twelve dollars on that flop? Yes. Sixteen. Yeah. Right. Right. So now it's the turn, and we're playing the three hundred dollar game still. He bets twenty on that turn. Do you call 20 on that turn in this hand? I I think you probably still do. I think 20 to you is not that big of a deal. So when you have three yeah. grand in front well, of you, 200 is not a big deal either. I wasn't thinking about the money necessarily. I was probably thinking about it the same way you're trying to tell me to think about it now. I'm just thinking about what I'm hoping to hit now. And the problem is, is that even if I hit my flush or straight, I don't think I'm going to feel confident enough to be able to raise on the river. So I also got to think about how much money I can make off this. You know, I don't. I don't think there are implied odds here for me now. Right. Well, there's six. So I'm putting two twenty-five in to win six hundred. So it's three to one, and then you know whatever I might get out of a crying call on the river if he really doesn't have anything, and I hit. So that's almost borderline, I think, for me. So I could defend either way. I'm probably just because I'm not a great player. I'm probably going to call here because I think I, there's a. 50-50 chance that I'm actually my draws are go still good. Yeah, we do I'm have to say hope. A, a better player might not call here. We do have to hope the card on the end, if it does make our hand, doesn't make his boat. Then that's what we're in, you know, well, it's king jack, you know what yeah, I mean, or something. I mean, so um, we're hoping for a low diamond is what we're hoping for. Um, but I think I'm going to make the call. I think I'm going to make the call and see exactly what he does on the river. Because this it, is a fascinating hand here. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm really it's really above my pay grade. I will for all those folks that think we suck at this. I this is a hand where I will point out, yes, you are correct. We do, or yeah. at least I do. Well, <laughs> I, I I mean I know what you're saying. I I don't know if what we're saying is right or wrong. I just know in my heart if I'm playing a three hundred dollar game and I got three hundred in front of me and this guy even if he you know he's got because I don't think he has a boat. I don't think he's confident we have aces or kings because if he thought about it and he's a quality player, he would think, well, wouldn't he have raised that flop after I bet into him? Because first of all, it's a donk bet. He took control of the hand first. Why am I now trying to steal the control from him? If he has aces or kings, he's going to protect that hand and say, screw you, and you're betting into me. I've got an overpair, and I need to protect against Broadway and a flush. So when he didn't do that, I think that's why he's even more confident now with that third jack. I think he's got three jacks. I think he he's betting into us now, hoping to dissuade us from drawing. And or you know, hey, I don't want you to hit your third ten when I have pocket fours or I have ace jack or something. So I, I think he's confident with his three jacks, and we're drawing to a hand that can beat his three jacks, provided the card that comes doesn't fill him up. So, I don't disagree with any of that. I just I think four four. I'm not scared of four four, but I think four four would play this hand exactly the way he's done it too. So yeah. there's well, there, a chance that we I, I agree that he could play it that way. I also think he could check four four here knowing that 
he thinks he's on a draw, and he, or he could be playing it as a as a floater. Yeah, but I, I think that's kind of the key, though, is that we we called on the on the flop, so a good player would say, "What kind of hands are going to call here?" I mean, is it Ace King that just isn't there yet? Um, you know, so th- there are draws, and the fact this does kind of kill the draws. So I guess he's got to think. It's a lot of a third or fourth level thinking now on what he thinks right. he might do here. If it kills the draw, why bet? Let him catch but up or something. It's also possible that, you know, like I said, it's the underboat, so he's got to be worried about something catching up. So that's why he wants to put decent, he's been putting decent bets in on both streets. Yeah. Huh. So. I don't know. I, I'm saying it's possible. I mean, oh, so possible. you're going to fold and I'm going to call, or is it still borderline for you? Not no, sure? I, like I said, I'm not a good enough player to fold here, so I'm going to oh, call, okay. I think. I'm just, just suggesting that this is a tough spot. I don't, I'm and you not think, confident in my decision either way. But. And we haven't talked about raising, right? We wouldn't say raise just because it's you're going to wow. get shoved. You can get forced out of this hand when you haven't even made a hand yet. I mean, I guess it's it's probably a conversation we need to have here because if he is just kind of poking the bear here and we raise and he has nothing, now he has to fold, right? Yeah, especially since we were slow playing a set or or something. Here to call a raise, doesn't he? Yeah, and if we were slow playing a set of queens, which turned into a boat here, here, you know, now we raise and come away. Hope he has pocket fours and he's. You know, he might think about it if he only or has even that, He doesn't have to figure out what, he, what we have. He just At that point, if we raise now, I think he has to have a jack or better to call, right? Right. I don't think there's anything else out there that he can feel confident about to call. You know, unless we make it a min-raise, we make it 450 to go or something. But right. if we, of course, we started with, what, 3,000? So we still, we're still deep stacked here. So, you know, if we pop this thing to, like, Six seven hundred or something. If he was just bluffing all the way, hmm. which seems a pretty ballsy thing to do. Yeah, especially because of multiple players, it wasn't like it was heads up. Yeah. I don't know. The raise is is, is an interesting play. Um, it's dangerous. It also probably protects the river for you from having to face another and that's big the other bet. Thing. If he's weak. Hasn't made hand, but a weak hand. He's going to check the river, and then we can, you know, if we actually hit our hand, then maybe we can put a bet in. If we miss, then you know. Yeah, I mean, you can have the decide what we want to do. The stones to raise their bet there. Yeah. I mean, you know, but huh? I don't know. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna call. That's an interesting point. Yeah, I'm gonna call though. I'm gonna call. So the problem, kind of too, is if we raise though. It's going to have to be to six hundred, I think, right? To make it, oh yeah, yeah, at least. So we raised the six hundred, so now we're putting about four hundred more into this pot than we would if we just called. The river bed is going to be about four hundred, right? Mm-hmm. If we just called, but we're not going to make that river bet unless we hit, right? Or a river call. That's what's interesting about here now. I, I could put the same amount of money in, but get a better result by raising here. That's what I was saying before. And then you give someone a chance to win. But I have to hit my hand to actually put that extra four hundred in on the river. That's the interesting thing here. If I completely miss here, I'm not going to put four hundred. I'm not going to put another dollar in the let alone four hundred. Yeah. 
Yeah, because if you bet, you raise here and he calls, and then your hand doesn't get there and he checks to you, he could be setting you up for a bluff the whole time, and you're going to lose more money by trying to steal it rather than just check behind and show down ace ten and say, "Ah, oh, sorry, I missed." You know, if you take a, if you're if you're bluffing at it, I mean, you're not Stu Unger. You know what I mean? You need yeah, to yeah. really think about this story you've told all the well, way. Well, the other problem too is we raise the four hundred here and he re-raises. Now we've got to fold, and yeah. we don't get to see the river at all. Yeah, we've wasted money. I mean, it's Oof, a, that's tough. It's a chance you're willing to take if you know how this player plays or whatever, but at this point, it really feels like this guy's got a third jack in his hand. Yeah, I think I think now that we've spent way too much time and the clock's been called on us a hundred times, <laughs> um, I think I'm going to call here. Um, and then knowing, because the $400 is still $400, and then I have a decision whether I want to put it in or not on the river. Okay, let's call. All right, that's what we do. All right, uh, so I still have flush and straight draws, but the board just paired, so are they any good any longer? I've got some experience with the player. He's better than me, maybe a lot better than me, but for some reason I don't see him calling a $50 race with queen-jack in early position. Uh, I don't really even consider 4-4 queen-queen. I think queen-queen would have re-raised. I just mentally checked out on giving him credit for pocket fours. I'm not saying that's the only group of hands he can have, just those are the ones where I'm drawing dead. Uh, so 916 pot doesn't say what he does, but I'm going to guess who it means he calls. That's 916 the pot. Or, yeah. Yep. Four. Yeah, because that'd be so four and calls. four. Yeah, that's right. So he just calls. All right. River is the king of hearts. So our final board is queen of diamonds, jack of hearts, four diamonds, jack of clubs, king of hearts. So we hit the straight. And our opponent bets five seventy-five. This is not quickly or rashly, just controlled betting throughout. Well, we hit the hand, one of the hands, but that was one of the hands I brought up right in the middle of there about let's hope that he doesn't have King Jack. But would he really? If he said he didn't give him credit for Queen Jack for fifty-dollar raise preflop, I can't put him on King Jack. Then that's even worse. It's better, but it's worse. You know what I mean? It's it's higher, but it's worse because it's one suited. You know, one one gapper. So if I can't put him on Queen Jack, can I really put him on King Jack? You know, yeah, I think it's a little bit of a stretch. So I mean, either we were already beat in this hand before, and we had we were drawing dead, or we actually did um, catch up here. Yeah, and here's the deal too. You said earlier about the call the two and have four hundred on the end because I would if I made that raise. It's only a hundred more than the four hundred we were going to bet anyway. Essentially, maybe one hundred and seventy. But maybe we... Uh... Right, exactly. So if we went through all those gymnastics to decide whether we should have raised four, another 400 or so there, and we agreed that we were going to check, I mean call, call, and then only put money in if we hit. We did hit. I, I think we have to call now. You know? Yeah. I, well, you didn't, if you he didn't has a better hand, then he has a better hand. But Because it wouldn't have made a difference if it was a flush or that. It's just the card kind of scares you that it could be a combination that he played for a raise. I feel more confident with my flush than I do on my straight here because of that. But Well, I guess it doesn't matter. No, that would make no difference. Right, right, yeah. yeah. Either you're beat by a full house or you're winning with a straight or a flush. But the card is what particularly has me concerned, is that it's the king that could be paired with a jack. That's the thing that has me concerned. So that's why I'm just going to call. Yeah. Okay. All right, here it says, uh, let's three straight, three straight bets into a preflop aggressor. That's a paired board and one that just straightened out as well, and he still bet. Now, lots of hands, and now it makes sense. King-Jack being one of them. King-King, two, maybe? 
Uh, Stone Knight can take about 4-4. My thinking is that a straight beats a lot of hands, but how many of those hands is he representing? I'm not saying this is all he could have. I'm just saying this is all I could come up with while trying to figure out if he was going to call or not. If I was going to call or not. He has pocket queens in a boat. He has king jack in a boat. He has queen jack in a boat. Or he's bluffing only because I don't think he bets a queen, king, or even a jack there. Not for value. I think with those, he check calls in the river. Bluffs and boats are what I think he has. I finally decide it's a 50-50 or maybe less 40 to 60 call versus fold, and I call. He mucks his hand without showing, but later we discussed the hand, and he said he had eight, nine of diamonds. Holy cow. Knowing him, I believe him. And I told him I thought he played that hand in a great manner. Not in a dirtbag, smartass way, but I thought it was a great hand played by him. His final bet nearly got me to fold. Anymore, I might think he was bluffing. Um, why not try to get some value if you have a boat? Any less, and I'm much more quickly calling due to pot odds, but 575 was a sweet spot for the bet. Maybe not for the other people, but for me. It got me to pump the brakes and really consider folding my hand. He and I went over the hand a little later, and he said he thought I could have ace-ace, ace-queen of diamonds, or king-king, so I really didn't like seeing the king on the river. I think just as I discounted him having queen-jack to start with, Due to my opening raise, he also discounted Ace-10 of Diamonds for the same reason. He said that Ace-10 of Diamonds was a hand he never considered at all during the betting, but his opinion it's uh, the, about also the only hand that really makes sense for the call, call, call play other than King-King. So in my opinion, he outplayed me on almost every street except maybe pre-flop, but in the end I found myself in a coin flip decision and made the right choice. So basically I got a lucky flip. Yeah, that uh, that's very interesting because they... He, I think he got the most he could get out of this hand unless he somehow re-raised on the flop like he should have, you know, had he had aces or kings, is what I'm saying. So if he had represented the hand that he should have had, he may have re-raised on the flop to, which we, you and I talked about, we love the call there, so I'm not saying we should have played that way, but now in retrospect, I'm wondering how he can get more money. If he re-raises there to 375 or 400, and the other guy says, oh, you know what, I got straight flush draw, or no, I got a straight, I got a straight draw and a flush draw, I'm not going anywhere, and I'm re-raising you, or I'm shoving on you, or some weird thing, and then we call on that. That's really the only way I think you're going to make more money here. I think if you raise on the turn, he folds. I think if you obviously raise on the river, he folds. So, I really, I think he got the most money he could unless some sort of weird shove fest happens after that flop, which I don't think really happens at that level in that kind of stack. That's a big yeah, stack yeah. to just shove, so I think he uh, got the most out of it. Yeah, can we talk about how awesome his opponent played this hand, I think? Yeah. You know, maybe the 8-9 was a little loose, uh, but again, I think this is a rock game, so those are the kind of hands that people are going to play, right? Um, and I really like betting in to him with those draws. I mean, he he wasn't risking a ton there because he had a lot of outs to um, to hit, and then he could continue betting with his hand hidden. I love that. You know, yeah. if he would have hit his diamonds or that straight on the turn and bet, people would think he was just continuing his betting, not knowing that he just hit his great card, right? Yeah. And the fact that a jack came now, he's got to wonder: Would we really? Would any of us? Would we really call with just a jack in our hand? So now the jack makes it look like he has the jack, and he continues to fire at it. That that puts a lot of doubt in, this, in people's minds. I mean, you could argue that the one twenty five was a risky 
bed on the flop because he could get raised. But if he gets raised, I mean, unless it's a significant raise, if I get raised there, then I know that my draws are probably live, right? Mm. So I, I, I'm not afraid of getting raised. And and then also because I have so draws there, if I can get both people to call, then I've got more money in the pot as well, too. I really like how his opponent played this. I really do. Well, let me ask you this. Though. I don't know about the river bet, but I think at that point he had that's the only way you can win, right? Yeah, so. it's the only way you can win. You have to bet there, otherwise. I mean, you don't have to, but if you want to try to win, it's the only way you could bet. But the, the question really, I have at is, at that point, we only had to worry. He had to worry that we had the exact hand we had. I think. Here's the deal, though. I, I agree with you. He played it very well, but it, it, only because I think we have hindsight. If if you give us a hand that he's betting into, and we've got the nuts. He looks like an idiot. And when the hand's over, you're like, dude, really? I had queens full. I took, I mean, I, I was slow playing. I was walking you the whole way. You know, I braced preflop. I could easily have queen, queen there. You're betting into me, and I'm just calling you. You know, I mean, I realize you might want to protect your set of queens, but yeah, not yeah. that many people really protect that much when you have a set. having that third player in the hand makes it difficult for you not to raise if you have pocket queens there, right? Yeah. I mean, the other thing, too, is, though, is you, you're still you're still putting yourself out there with a paired board. You know what I mean? If, if it turns out that we just happened to have that hand and we gave the reason that you gave earlier that you want another guy in the hand because you wanted more money or something because you had ace-jack when the hand started and you hit middle pair, you're like, I'm going to call because I've got middle pair and I'm not sure this guy really has anything. And then we turn the jack and now he's betting into us. We got three jacks and then we fill up with king-jack because we had king-jack or ace-jack. You know what I mean? It's just, I agree with you. I think you did play it very well and almost won it cost him a grand for us to say he played it well but yeah, um i just wondered if we had a different hand and actually had the the nuts or something would he would say have to long fool. term playing that hand several times i think it's a profitable play the way he played it yeah he lost this one obviously but i i think playing that way rather than a normal check hopefully i'll hit my flush and then try to get my money when no one's gonna bet at that point right yeah there's so much misdirection going on um, I mean, the donk bet is always a head scratcher to people, right? So people have to think of that. Um, I think Jason needs to reassess, too, what he thinks of this player. Because earlier he said, I can't put him on Queen Jack for a $50 raise, yet he does it with 8-9. Eight, 8-9, nine. Eight, nine, yeah. So true. this guy clearly will play, you know, the cards that can crack big hands and call a raise with it. So he's got to think about that again now when he's playing this guy. And now I'm not a big, per, uh, big uh, show my hand kind of guy, but I think this might have been a hand where I would have showed. Yeah, because now he only gets that benefit of telling Jason later rather than yeah. everybody knowing how he plays. I think I kind of want people to think that I'm loose. It depends on how he's played. If he plays this loose all the time, then obviously you don't want to do that. But, you know, if he was taking a shot here and mixing his game up a little bit, I definitely want people to know that I'm capable of three-barrel betting with eight-nine, nine-high. Right? Yeah, yeah. Because the next time when I have a real hand, they're not going to give me credit for it, and I'm going to get paid off. Mm, good point. This is a great hand. Yeah, isn't it? Very good hand. Good show. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the tables. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. 